Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc or you can visit us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called What If? And so here's kind of the premise behind that series is that we ask what if questions at all phases of life, all ages. All right, I've told you, I got a little four-year-old guy at my house um, and he jumps up on the edge of the couch and he's like, hey dad, what if I jumped off? You think I could fly? And I'm like, no son, you, you cannot. And we don't want to go to the ER. We've paid enough of those bills. Don't do that. And he asked questions like, hey, what if there's monsters in my closet? And, and so as kids, they ask those what if questions. You've got a kid, they've asked those questions, and then they just graduate. They just become students, junior high and high schoolers, who ask more what-if questions. Like, you guys ask questions like, hey, what if I could get that girl or that guy all right, to snap me back or to drop, you know, drop a DM to me, then maybe we might could hang out, okay? Not that you've ever asked that question, but sometimes, parents, I've heard that students ask those things because they pursue, right? You with me? And, and you ask maybe questions like, hey, what if my, what if my mom and dad gave me a little more freedom, right? Like, I've got my own car now, or I've got my license. Could they just back off a little bit and let me be a high schooler. Um, and then parents, don't, don't look down on them because you ask what if questions too. Some of your questions, they escalate just a little bit in nature and you begin to say things like, what if I could get a different job? Okay, what this job I hate. What if I had a better job, made more money? Like then we could kind of be this segment of society and we could move out of this place into that or I could drive that. Or maybe you ask what if questions like, what if my spouse and I got along together better? What if I could get my kid to mind me? All right, they're longing for freedom. I'm longing for respect, right? And it's just a beautiful thing that goes back and forth. What if we ask that question all the time? And one of the things that we've said as we kind of just walked out of January a few days ago is that in New Year's resolutions, they're really based around what if. It's just going, hey, what if I change this about me or what if I adopted this habit, then maybe this could be a part of my life or maybe I could be more successful at this. And so we ask those what if questions a lot. So what we've been doing in these weeks together is tackling some big what if questions and kind of wrestling through those together. And one of the things I've said to you, and that I still think reigns true today as we put a bookend on this, is that if we were to really get serious about these questions, not like, hey, this is a little 30-minute preacher time and then we're going to lunch, but if we really begin to engage God's Word and the truth that it has for us, and then we begin to apply it to our life, I literally believe that it could change everything about us. I don't just believe it. I know it. That it could change everything about us. Not New Year's resolution style, because for some of you, like we're already, you know, what is five days into February, you don't even remember what your New Year's resolution was, much less keep it. But I believe these things could literally begin to alter and change everything about the way that we follow Jesus. So here's the four questions that we've asked so far. If you missed any of these, week one, we asked the question, what if I took the Bible seriously? And we kind of dug into that. Week two, we said, what if I didn't do life alone? Because the reality is some of you, you live in a big family or you're in a marriage that you've been in for a long time, but the reality is you're still lonely. And we believe that God did not design us to do life alone, that he gives us people to walk through this life with. Uh, week three, we talked about what if I fully understood prayer. We talked about the two-way communication line that God's created for us as people to know and communicate with the God of the universe. Let your mind wrap around that for a second. And then last week, man, it was a really powerful week as we talked about what if I realized the fight I'm in. And some of you, you, you didn't know you were in a fight. Like, you're, I didn't call anybody out, right? But the reality is every day you're engaged in a fight. And last week we talked about how to stand firm in that and how to become victorious um, through the power that God's given to us. And so here's our fifth and final question. All right, if you're taking notes today, this is where we're headed. And it is this question right here. What if I identified where I am? 
What if I identified where I am? For my wife and I's uh, fifth anniversary, we went to Chicago. We'd never been there before, five years, so you kind of got to make it big, make it feel special. And so we boarded a plane, uh, flew out of Jackson into Atlanta, out of Atlanta into Chicago, where we're going to spend a few days, um, just the two of us, drop little man off. And so we landed in mid-afternoon on a weekday afternoon. At the Chicago airport, then we kind of hopped on the shuttle, rode the shuttle over to the little rental car place and where we were going to get a rental car, and we were trying to make it to our hotel because we had tickets for a show that night, so we are going to go kind of freshen up and then go to the show. So the plan was for me um, to drive our rental car just throughout the days that we would be there. Now, not that my wife's not a good driver, okay, don't go telling her that, but because I wanted to shoulder the load. I was like, big new city, I'll drive the car, I'll shoulder the load, I'll handle the traffic, you help be my navigator. And so we walk up to the counter. I hand the lady my license, and she looks at me, and she goes, oh, well, sir, that, that's not going to work. I was like, what do you mean that's not going to work? And she says, well, your license is expired by two months. So previously, I'd had a birthday, and apparently I was not aware that my license had expired. I know none of you have ever made that mistake before, so I'm just confessing to you today publicly. Um, so failure number one. So my wife slides across her license. They get everything taken care of. I'm like, babe, you're it. Okay, I'm, I'm navigator seat now. And so we head out. They give us a car. We punch in our address into the GPS. And so then we head on, I think, what was about a 30-minute drive across Chicago to our hotel to kind of freshen up um, to head back to the show that night. Now, while we were in the car, wasn't that bad of traffic, even though we were in Chicago. Okay, we're not talking Highway 80, but it was a little worse than that. But it wasn't 5 o'clock yet. We were still mid-afternoon. So we arrived at the hotel that we were headed towards. Walk inside, nice man at the uh, you know registration check-in desk. And so I said, hey, we, we've got two, we've got a room that I've reserved, last name May. And so he begins to kind of check on the list and he comes back and he's like, I, I don't have anything. And I was like, what, what do you mean you don't have anything? Like, I've got confirmation here. And so he says, why don't we check first names? So we give him first names and he scrolls to the index and he goes, I, I still don't show anything. And so at this point, just really honest, I was getting pretty anxious because I'm like, five-year anniversary trip, away from home, hours away with my wife, like, and there's no room in the inn, okay? We, we need to stay somewhere. And so we begin to kind of check all these different other uh, ways to kind of confirm things. And finally, he goes, well, do you have your confirmation sheet with you? And so I tried to be the responsible uh, customer, and I printed off the email confirmation, and I handed it to him, and he looks over it. And as he does, he goes, ah, here's the problem. And I was like, awesome, what is, what is the problem? And he says, you guys don't actually have reservations at this hotel. Your reservations are 45 minutes across Chicago the other way at another one of our hotels. Hashtag epic failure at that point, all right? So we walk back out to the car, all of my pride totally ripped away, okay? Walk into the, get to the car where my wife still has to drive, let me remind you, sit in the passenger seat. We punch in the new hotel address, the correct hotel address, and we look at the clock and it is now 4.55 p.m. right in the middle of the afternoon. So, hey babe, here you go, 5 o'clock traffic, 45 minutes this way, and, and here's what I'm saying, fellas just not the way that you want to start your anniversary trip, okay? Not the way to get her fully on your side. Now, we survived. All is good, okay? We're well. Still married, all right? It's really good. But here's why I tell you that. Because it is incredibly important for us to really identify where we are. Now, I don't necessarily mean physically. I'm going to give you credit that 99% of the time, 99% of you hopefully know where you are, okay? If you don't, we'll talk later about that. But what I'm talking about today is this what-if question is on a much deeper level. 
a much deeper level. My question for you today is, is what if you really begin to identify where you are spiritually, like in your relationship with God? Because here's what I know. Right? We live in a Bible Belt culture where everybody goes to church and everybody loves God and everybody's a Christian and everybody loves Jesus, right? And we do all of these churchy things. We come to activities and events like this and, and we listen to Christian music and, and we read our Bible sometimes and we pray before meals and when we get in trouble and, and we maybe quote some scripture and you know we've been to VBS before. We went to youth camp one time and we even got scripture hanging on the wall in the dining room at our house. And we can do all of these really, really well intentioned, good meaning, great things, but never really identify with where we are. We can get caught up in just this cycle of our culture, but never really pinpoint where we are in this journey with Jesus. And what I've come to find is that many times we can believe that we're headed in the right direction. Only to realize when we get to the destination that we were headed in the wrong direction the whole time because we never stopped to identify with where we are. So here's my goal today, just up front. This is what I'm going for. Whether you're a high school student in the room, half awake, or all the way back to mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, is to help you identify where you are in your journey with God. Because my greatest fear... My greatest fear is that we would go through all of these motions with good intentions, thinking that we're headed in the right direction, yet end up just like my wife and I at the wrong destination. And so here's what we're, how we're going to approach this today. I want to give us two statements of kind of warning or truth, because for some of you, like you're like, hey, that was a good story. I laughed at that, but you ain't got me. No, here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to give you two statements that I want you to write down or think about that will hopefully just kind of intensify your need for identifying where you are in this journey with God. And so here's the statement. Number one is that spiritual deception is entirely possible and eternally dangerous. Spiritual deception is entirely possible and eternally dangerous. One of the verses that I wrestle with more than really any other verse as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, is this verse right here. Matthew 7 Chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? In other words, hey, do we, do we, didn't we go to church? Like, didn't we sing all the right songs? Didn't I try to live better than most people? And I did all these things, but check out verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Now, these are Jesus' words, not Bryant's, all right? And Matthew records these words where Jesus says, on that last day when God is not only creator, but he's also judge, that there will be many people who will stand before him. Many people, maybe even some who walked into our building today, who will stand before God as creator and judge, and he will say, I never knew you. Now, I want you to hear me today. My goal last goal I have is to scare any of us today. It's not. It's not to make you doubt your security if you're in Christ. That's not where I'm headed today. But here is where I'm headed. It's for all of us to take a moment to examine ourselves. For you to examine where you are. For you to identify where you are in this journey 
with God. Because as a culture, we drift towards what is easy. Hence, microwave ovens. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for microwave ovens. But we drift towards what is easy. But Matthew 7, Jesus says, narrow is the gate that leads to life. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. In other words, life in Christ's salvation is not handed out in the have-it-your-way drive-throughs of life. It's just not how it works. And one of the things that Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, The God, notice little g God, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Paul is saying that the God, little g God of this age, in other words, there's an enemy, there's an opposition. If you're here with us last week, we fully identified that, that he's got a strategy for your life, a beautiful plan of of death and destruction that's what he longs for all of us that he has a strategy and one of his strategies is by deceiving people he's the master of deceit and one of the ways he loves to do that is by convincing people that their salvation that their identity in christ that their eternity is secure when it is not spiritual deception is entirely possible and eternally dangerous and that should cause us just to hit the brakes now here's the second statement We cannot profess publicly what we do not possess personally. We cannot profess publicly what we do not possess personally. Here's what that means. You can't claim to have what you've never really experienced. You can't claim to have what you've never really experienced. And just downright honest with you, one of, one of my greatest man, fears and wrestles and struggles as a pastor is we live and, and we minister in a, in a Bible Belt culture, right, where everybody goes to church and everybody loves Jesus. But here's, here's the tension, okay? Man, I talked to many people who had an experience in third grade where mom and dad kind of pushed them into something or a Sunday school teacher or they were in seventh grade and they went to Collide Weekend or they were on a youth trip and they had like a, an emotional experience and everybody else was doing something and I felt like I should jump in or maybe they were an adult and their spouse kind of walked them into something and, and they, they, they prayed some prayer or checked some box or had some conversation and they go, well, now I'm in Christ when the reality is their heart never really changed. And here's what I'm saying to you today, as graciously, as lovingly as possible. That is not salvation. And spiritual deception is entirely possible and eternally dangerous. And we're going to kind of dive into that today. And here's here's kind of the strategy of the enemy. I didn't speak with him this week, but I have a pretty good line in on what he would love to happen today. The enemy would love for us to come into this building today at 11 o'clock and go, dude, this is awesome, man. Students everywhere collide weekend. Woo! They didn't get much sleep, but man, I'm grateful my kid met Jesus, or I'm grateful I had a chance to go to Monster Wreck and hear Christian Stanfield and all this stuff, and we sang some songs, and we got excited, and the preacher, well, I don't know what his problem was but he was fired up and then we went to lunch at pizza inn and we went home and all right and we never fully identify with where we are the enemy would go check so my goal today is not to allow him to be victorious in our life but for us to take just a few minutes today and really identify with where we are in this journey with God so here's how we're going to do this I'm going to draw out a map a little map today And here's what this is going to do. All of you in the room, whether you're middle school, junior high student, high school student, mom, dad, you're going to be able to take your story and identify with where with this map. 
Everybody's story in the room will fit on this map. Now, I didn't create this map. It's not magical. Some of you will have seen us use this before, maybe one of our staff team members in a conversation. If that's you, I hope it's just a refresher for you. Man, take notes. Take it with you. Go use it. But for some of you, it will be the roadmap that could potentially help you understand what it means to have everything about your life changed. All right, and so it's going to revolve around three circles. I'm going to use this whiteboard over here, but for those of you, especially those of you watching our lobby today, we're going to also put it on the screen behind me so that you'll be able to see what's going on on each of these. Now, it's going to got three circles to it. Here's the very first circle, and I'm a preacher, not an artist, so don't judge me for that. The first circle is what we call God's design. God's design. If you read God's word, Many of us have read the beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. God creates the first man and the first woman, Adam and... Okay, that was an awake check, just making sure you're there. All right, he creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the Garden of Eden, and he designs them with a specific purpose, to know him, to have a relationship with him, and to have a relationship with each other. And guess what? That's how God wired you. Whether you've owned up to it or not yet, that's how God wired you. He desired that you would know him, that you would have a relationship with him. And if you look at the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect place. There was no sin. It was not corrupt. No Democrats, Republicans, none of all this chaos that we're dealing with. It was a perfect place where everything made sense. There was peace and there was joy. And here's what God designed you to know and experience. God designed you to experience peace. He designed you to have joy, to love and to be loved. And he designed you with a purpose. In other words, he says that your life matters. Your life carries significance. In the Garden of Eden, the only perfect place that has ever existed, all right, on earth, it was there. It was set. And everything was laid out. And all of you today, you, you want peace. I never heard anybody turn down a peace. Like, no, I'd rather stay in the chaos and the turmoil. You want peace. You want to love somebody, and you want to be loved. That's why you can turn on the radio on all, however many stations when you go out today, and that's what the song's going to be about. And you're like, oh, that's me. They just know it, okay? They know what you were wired for. They're just singing it in a different way. And you want to know that your life matters. Some of you came in today, and you, you were looking for that. You just wanted to hear that, the man, that your life matters. And today, we're going to talk about that. And so if you look at the Garden of Eden, man, God sets all of that up. And God had a perfect design. And here's the cool part about God. That, that design, it carries over, not just for Adam and Eve, but like it matters for you as a student, mom, dad, single, parent, grandparent. God has a design for students, how you would have relationships, um, how you do school, what you're going to do after high school. He has a design, mom, dad, for how you do your job how your marriage would lay out, your sex life, your finances, your career path. He has a design for all of those things. But just as quickly as he created the perfect design, here's what happened. We broke the design in a word that we're all probably going to be pretty familiar with called sin. Every one of us. Here's what happened. We said, God, I see your design, but I think that my way is better than yours. And here's how we could simply define sin. Sin means that we miss the mark on God's design. And that counts for everybody in here. Here's why I know that. Paul says this in Romans 3.23. It says for, what's the second verse? Or second word? For all, all. In the Greek, that means everybody, all right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory or the design 
of God. God's word says we all sin. Not, not just some people. Okay. Sometimes we're like, Oh, well, like I got this group of Facebook friends. Like I need to kind of unfollow them because they're the sinners. And no, no, no. all have sin. Everybody the, the people who showed up at the building today for church, the people who have not been here in years. All right. All segments have sin. That's everybody deal that broke the design of God. Cause we go, my way is going to be better than that. And what happened is we tried to meet a legitimate need because there was a real hole there. We tried to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And we all stepped into sin and sin became the core problem of every one of our life. All right? The issue for you is not that you're a bad student or you're a bad kid. It's not that you're a bad mom or dad or a bad parent, bad employee, whatever it is. No, the, the issue that you have and that I have, our core problem is that we're full of sin. And sin is that separating factor. And here's what happens in sin. In sin, right? I don't know what you've heard, but in sin, man substitutes himself for God. That's what happens. And we go, God, God my way is better. Think about it this way, okay? When, when someone's caught in addiction, what they're really saying is, hey, this thing fulfills me, God, more than you do. Or in greed, we get caught in the greed, like the pursuit of more. If I could just have more, then we could have this house or this car, or I could be that status, or I wouldn't have this stress. And we get just caught up in this rat race. Nothing wrong with working hard. Please do that. Represent Jesus well. But when we get caught in the rat race of greed, what we're saying is, hey, this little G God, I believe it's going to fulfill me and work for me better than what you got for me, God. Or when we get caught in, uh, let's say when we get caught in this race for approval, that if I could just look this way, I would fit in with this crowd, or if this group would accept me, what we're saying is, God, their approval, or students, God, her approval, or his approval, is more important than your approval for me. And I believe that that will fulfill me more. And that ultimately is what happens in sin, is that man substitutes ourself in place of God. And here's the thing about sin. Sin doesn't make us bad. It doesn't. Now, we say that to each other. Sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. And that's much worse. And so as a result of sin, we, we come to our second circle today. And here's, here's what the second circle is. The second circle is what we'll label brokenness. And here's what I know about brokenness, because I walk this life too. Brokenness is very real. Brokenness hurts. Brokenness leaves scars. Some of you are going, like, he's reading my story. No, I'm reading a lot of people's stories. Brokenness is very real, and brokenness comes as the result of sin because we broke God's original design, and we said, I can do it my way, and my way's better, and it leaves us in a place of brokenness. And what we really did is we all went looking for that, that love and that peace and that approval and that acceptance and that, that purpose that God created us for. We go looking for it in all these other areas, and it leaves us right here. And as a result of that, okay, as a result of that, we feel emptiness, we feel loneliness, um, we're isolated, we get depressed, all those things. Why, why does that happen? I need to get, that's what happens right there. And so as a people who, who fix things, when something's broken, we fix it. Here's what we do. We try to fix the brokenness in our life. And so we start running to all these other things. We're like, well, maybe another relationship, that'll work. Or maybe drugs and alcohol. Or maybe if I could chase a different career. Or maybe if I could immerse myself in, in more money or get more stuff. Or like, man, vicariously live through my kids. And just, I mean, throw your air on there. And we run to all of these different things, longing to fix the brokenness inside of us. But you look at that design. What does that do in relation to God's design? 
on the map. It just takes us further and further away from how God created us. And ultimately what we're saying in our brokenness is we know something's not right and it needs to be fixed. Now for some of you, it's really easy to, to identify the broken seasons of your life. Maybe it was this season in college or high school. Maybe it's multiple seasons. Maybe it's where you are right now. And, and it's really easy to identify that. For some of you, I just want to address some of you. This is not everybody in the room. But for some of you, it's a little bit harder to maybe find what that brokenness is. Because maybe for you, maybe you grew up in a really stable home. And there are good relationships and healthy relationships. Maybe you were around the things of God. You made some pretty wise decisions growing up. And, and you look at this and you're going like, I don't I don't really remember that period where I just like lost myself in all those things you labeled there a while ago. Now, I know some friends that went there, but like, I, I didn't ever really go there. And here's, here's what I want to say to you today. For some people, their arrow, right? Their arrow is this. Religion. Religion. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, for some people, because we live in this whole Bible Belt culture where everybody goes to church and everybody's a Christian, that I mean, we can immerse ourselves in, in church activities and in spiritual motions and in spiritual routines. And, you know, mommy was a Sunday school teacher and daddy was a deacon and I was in church, all, all that stuff. Okay. And ultimately, religion becomes our little G God because we begin to think if I could just do enough good things, if I could just live a good enough life, then maybe God would accept me. Like, like I would get approval. Again, where did that arrow take us? And here's why I can talk to that crowd today. Because I am one of you. I am one of you. Like, my, my dad was on staff. He still is with the church. I was in church since nine months before I was born. Like, okay, the, ha- the church is basically my second house. Like, I, just did, I didn't know anything else. I did all of the activities. Like, in third grade, I'm starting to help teach Sunday school. It's just like, I'm here. I don't know anything else. But guess what? All of that church attendance, all of those awesome things that I did that I'm really grateful for, it did not fix the sin issue of my life. It didn't. Here's what God's word says about our righteousness, our good acts. Isaiah 64, verse 6. It says, for all of us, that's that all word again, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, our sin, our, our sin issue, like the wind, it takes us away. And so here's what God's word says. God's word says that on your best day, in your best moment, man, when you did your most holy and gracious and generous and compassionate act, held up next to the holiness of God, it still looked like filth. Because there is nothing that we can do on our own. We've demonstrated that to return ourselves back to God's design. And so whether you're like, whether you have one of these arrows that our culture would label, that's a bad sin, or maybe religion was your little G God, we all found ourselves in the same place. The roadmap, all of us took that detour. Everyone trying to fix the brokenness inside of us. And here's what I'll say. While brokenness is a, is a real thing, and it, is, it hurts, and it's painful, and some of you are in it right now, here's what I'll say. Our God is a master taking the broken pieces and putting them back together. And many times it is in the place of brokenness that we go, can't anymore. I can't. And we begin to trust him and our heart begins to turn to go, okay, maybe I should begin to lean into you. And so that's brokenness. And that sounds really, really hopeless, but I want to point us to the third and final circle. And it's this one right here. It's the word gospel. 
Gospel is a churchy word that you've heard before that literally just means this. It just means good news. What's the good news? Well, the good news is that God saw us in our brokenness and he loved us too much to leave us there. And so he provided for us a way out. He provided for us a way out. And the way that he did that was through Jesus And Jesus came to this earth, and he was the only one who can stand up and say, I lived a life in full submission to God's design. Jesus never took this turn. And if you know the rest of the story, we've said it in church forever. Man, he was born to a virgin named Mary. He grew up the son of a carpenter named Joseph. He was fully God, but yet he was fully man. That's hard for us to wrap our mind around, but he was. He was accepted by very few, but then he went to a cross at the age of 33, and he, he hung on a cross. And on that cross, a miracle happened. And Scripture talks about it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, this is what it says. It says, He himself bore our sins. Talking about Jesus. He bore our sins in his body or on his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And check this part. By his wounds you have been or you can be healed. Scripture says that all of your brokenness And all of my brokenness just sat on Jesus on the cross. And he willingly took that for us. He willingly took that for us. And if you know the rest of the story, he died in that moment. And they put him in a tomb. And three days later, he got tired of hanging out there. And he kicked the door wide open. And he overcame sin and death and hell and brokenness and the grave. And that's the gospel. That is is the gospel. And that's not, I'll just kind of trump the original meaning here of the gospel. That's not just good news. <laughs> like that's the greatest news that will ever hit humanity. And that's why when you come in this place, like we sing songs about the cross every week and it's like, somebody tell them it's not Easter. No, like we, we can't get over that and we never will. And that is the beauty of what God offers to us through the gospel. So what that means is that the change that we're all looking for, all of us, the change that we're all desiring, We can't muster it up. On our own, we're not able to. But there's one avenue to the gospel, and it's through the name of Jesus. So here becomes the question. If that's the good news, and so many of us, or all of us went here, and some of us are still there, how do you get from brokenness to the gospel? How does that work? we We need that road. Here it is. Give us two words, kind of churchy words too, but I'll break them down and help them make sense. Repent. And believe. Repent and believe. Here's what repent means, all right? Follow with me. Repent is this. Repent means that I'm going this way with my life and I make a 180 turn. I realize this is not fulfilling to me. This is not working. And so I turn to follow Jesus. Look at the roadmap here. We're headed this way and we'll go, that ain't working anymore. And I'm turning around. Now, here's what I'm going to be honest with you and say repentance, because I watched this happen, repentance is, is probably the hardest one of these to happen. Why? Because it requires leaving that old stuff that wasn't working. And for some reason, we keep, we, we keep a foot in there. We just keep leaning into it. And some people go, oh, I'll just keep finding myself in brokenness, but I had this experience. I'm like, you never really repented. You keep going to play with the old dog. Don't. 
Here's what repentance requires. Follow this. It requires three things. First, acknowledging that we are a sinner. Like owning up to that. A lot of you in the room, you're going like, yeah, I'm in the all of sin part. Some of you guys, okay, you're like, I don't know, man. I'm better than most. No, you're not. You're a sinner. Okay, just go ahead and acknowledge it. Second part is this. It requires sorrow over sin. This is the hard part of the three. Sorrow over sin. Because a lot of us, we're like, Man, I'm, I'm really sorry I got caught, man, in that relationship I should have never stepped into. Or like, man, I'm a student, and like, I'm really sorry mom and dad caught me in that. Or like, you know, hey, this thing happened at work, and man, I wish they wouldn't have caught. That's not sorrow. No, sorrow over our sin is, hey, there was a holy and a perfect God who created me and loves me, and I rebelled against him. Like, I, I intentionally ran the other way, and I hate that. And we're going to talk about how he's gracious in just a second. And here's the last part, that we acknowledge it, that we're sorrowful over it. And then the last part is that we flee from it. That we don't, we don't keep the foot in it anymore. We stop dabbling in it. And that we turn and that we flee. And that is repentance. Anything short of that is not repentance. And it will just keep you in that same cycle. You may think you stepped over there, but you're going to keep playing here. That's repentance. And for some of you, that's where you are. Here's the second part. The second action is that we believe. We believe, now, what are we believing in? Because as a culture, man, all right, we believe. We believe that we will. Okay, we believe in a lot of stuff. Our sports team, our education, our, our, you know, our kids, they're awesome. They're going to be a superstar, go to college, and you know, then go to the NFL and pay for mommy and daddy. Okay, uh, We believe in a lot of things. Here's what this belief means. That we believe that the gospel, Jesus, is the only answer to our brokenness. That's it. No, there's more to No, that's it. That's it. That we believe that Jesus and what God has done for us is the only way out of this rat race that we're all in. Here's what scripture says. It says that, that we believe that we can't do anything on our own, but it's Jesus' work for us. And here's another word that scripture gives for believe. Check this out. It's the word faith. You've heard that word. Paul uses it in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through, what's that word? Through faith, this is what you did by your church attendance and your activities and your bit. No, this is not from yourselves. It's a gift. You can't earn it from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Scripture says the only way to get from brokenness to the gospel is to first repent and then believe that Jesus is the only way out. It's not the, the church pretendance perfect word. Like, try that for the next year. Just kind of see how that goes. I'd encourage you to be here, but I'm just saying that's not going to fix the brokenness issue. Brokenness requires, belief requires trust in Jesus. Here's what faith says. Faith says, I jacked this up. I made a mess of this. I can't fix it. Jesus, I believe that you can. I'm not sufficient. Jesus, I believe that you are, and I'm trusting you. And I love to use this illustration. Some of you have heard me use this before. Faith, trust, can, can kind of be illustrated like this. Now run with me because it's going to get silly for a second. It would be like me taking one of these chairs, all right, and you walking into the room today and me going, man, that is a good chair right there. I know it's got little holes in it, and you didn't think it was going to be comfortable, but you sat in it and went down for a second, and you're like, oh, I like that chair because we have people say that. And then you, I could give you some facts about the chair, look up where it was bought, tell you how much it costs, give you some things about how, what it's made out of. We could like, you know, gather around, sing a song about the chair. It would be really awkward, but we could do it. And then we could kind of gather around, hold hands, sing kumbaya, have a little small group discussion about the chair. We could do all of those things. But that means nothing to you about how much I really believe in that chair until I bend my knees and put myself in that chair and transfer the weight of me into that chair. Because at that point you go, 
Man, he's not just talking about it. He believes it. And here's where that intersects with us. For so many of us, we live in this little, you know, churchy culture we're talking about. And so we can do all these things like come in here today and sing the song, God with us, God for us, go to Clyde Weekend, all these many different things, and never really transfer the weight and the trust of our life onto Jesus. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to have faith. And here's the deal, okay, especially for you dads and men in the room, a lot of you are like, well, I just don't know if I can do that because I don't know if Jesus is trustworthy. All right? And you're right, because it requires surrendering the direction of your life on to Jesus. That you go, Jesus, my family, like you designed it. You told me. You created it. I've broken it. I'm going to trust you. My, my finances, I'm going to trust you. My job, my love life, how I'm going to honor and respect my mom and dad, how I'm going to go to school, I trust you. And that's what it means to put our faith in him, to transfer the weight of our life. And anything short of that, we're still playing this game up here. So the only way out of brokenness to the gospel is to repent and to believe. And some people want to say this. They want to say, well, hey, I could like tell Jesus that he's my savior and I could say that I trust him and I could hang on to a couple of areas over here, like just in case Jesus isn't really good at handling those. Guess what? That's not faith. That's controlling what you can control and giving Jesus that leftovers. Repentance and belief is that we go, my way ain't working, and I need you to take over. And here's what Scripture says. Paul says this, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, below, is Lord, you, in other words, you repent, and you believe in your heart that the gospel is true, that God raised him from the dead, that it's the only way out. You will be saved. Verse 10, for with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, rightness with God, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That's it. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Luke chapter 15, there's a story, a lot of you have heard it, called the parable of the prodigal son. Here's what happens in that story, if you're not familiar with it. The son, all right, looks at his dad. He says, I want you to give me all the inheritance that you have for me. I'm going to take it because my way's going to work better than what you got going on here. And he runs out, and he takes all of what his father gave him, and he squanders it. And he chases all the different things that he thought would fulfill him. And guess where he found himself? Ding, ding. Brokenness. And in that moment, he went, my way's not working. And scripture says in the story that he turns and he goes back to his father's house. And check this part out. This is the good stuff. Scripture says his father is watching from a long way off. And when he sees his son coming, he doesn't run. He doesn't deadbolt the door. He doesn't start his, I'm going to tell you what you should have done speech. It says that he rips open the door and he runs and pursues his son. And he embraces him. And he says, let's throw a party because my son who was far away has now come home. And I don't know where you are, but I know at least a portion of your roadmap. And the same thing is available for you today. I don't care how far you've been, how many arrows you got on your brokenness. God looks at us with grace and he says, what Jesus did on the cross, it counted for you. In fact, if no one else would have existed, I'd have still done it for you. And the only way to move from brokenness caused by our sin to the gospel is to repent 
and believe. And here's one last part of the roadmap, and this is really good. God designed it. We broke it. He fixes it through the gospel. We repent and we believe. And here's the last part of the roadmap. When we trust in the gospel, God begins to do this. I'll use this word. He restores us. He begins to restore us back to that original design. The peace, the joy, the love, the purpose, the significance that we all wanted and were created for in the first place. Now, is life perfect? No, it's not. But there's a peace and there's a joy and there's a hope that you cannot have. It's impossible. You cannot have running around right here. And that's the beauty of our God. And we begin a journey of what Scripture calls sanctification. Just a big word that means the process of continually becoming like Jesus. And so if you've, if you've intersected the gospel at some point, you went like, repent, believe, I can tell you, this is when it happened, you're on the backside, and man, every day God's just encouraging you to become more and more like Him. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you that corrects you when you do wrong and encourages you when you are down. And that is the power of what it looks like to be restored. And the amazing thing about our God is it doesn't matter, doesn't matter how far you've run here. He still allows us to be restored. It's called grace. God's best idea. That he gives us what we don't deserve. So, what if you identified where you are? I mean, right now, before we check out of here and go to lunch, what if you honestly looked at that map and went, that's where I am? Because for some of you, you've never done that. Never. Now, here's what I'll say. Some of you in the room, I mean, you acknowledge sin. You've been in a place of brokenness. You've repented and believed. You've intersected the gospel. And you're on this other side over here, and God's restoring you. Maybe you're like way down here because you just started trusting Jesus. Or maybe you're like up here, all right? Or maybe like, Jesus, take me. I'm becoming more and more like you. Okay, you're way up there. And if that's you, man, here's my encouragement to you. Man, would you just celebrate what God has done for you? Never, ever, 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 ever get over that. Always sing about what Jesus has done for you. And here's the further encouragement. Connect with some of those what-if things we've been talking about. I didn't just waste four weeks to get to this week. Take God's word seriously. Engage in spiritual community. Don't do it alone. You can't. Don't. Try it. Okay? Then I'll see you in about three weeks. Okay? Don't do it. Communicate with God in prayer. And put your boots in the sand and stand firm because the enemy, he's coming to fight. He doesn't really like that you transfer teams. But you're on the undefeated team now. And so if that's you, man, stand firm. Listen to me. Some of you are right here. Like you, at some point in your journey, like you were in that brokenness and you heard about Jesus and somebody invited you to church and you're like, all right, uh, okay, maybe, maybe this Jesus thing is the only way out because none of these have been working. And for you, you're struggling right here. You're trying to figure out, hey, have I repented or if I believe? Here, here's the thing. You're trying to repent and you're going, I don't know if I can really turn from that old life. Like, I don't know. And God brought you here today to go, stop it. Like, don't. Where's that got you? Trust me. Trust me. Or maybe, you, maybe you're struggling with the belief part. Because you're like one of those type A's. You like to control everything like I do. And you're going, I just don't know, man. I got to trust God with my family and my job and like try to honor him with my life. I just don't know if he's trustworthy. Look at me. If he loved you in your brokenness, and he came to, you didn't come to him. He came to you and he paid the highest price with his son. All right, I love you guys, but I don't know if I'm giving up my boy for you. All right, he did. If he did all that for you, 
you can trust him. You can trust him. And for some of you, that's where you are today. You're trying to figure out, can I, can I turn? Can I really? Can I believe? Can I really? Yeah. That's it. It's the only way to go through there to get back to there. And some of you today, I believe some of you are still caught right here. And you're in a place of brokenness. And one, can I say that we're really, really, really glad you're here today? You're welcomed in our house. But I'm just telling you that all these different things right here, in case you haven't figured it out, they don't work. And maybe your prayer today is, God, could you just tell me that there's a way out? You came in here looking for answers. And God answered your prayer today to go, there is a way out. I came to get you. Will you come with me? What if you identified where you are? I believe if you've got really honest with Jesus today, and you allowed Jesus to get real honest with you, because he will, and you identified where you are, that it could literally change everything about you. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.